Well, my name is Pastor Dennis. I'm glad you're here today. Thank you for being here. We have, you know, so many things going on in, in, uh, at Crown Point Church, and Pastor Jeremy will come up right after, you know, the sermon part of the service and, and uh, tell you some of those things. I wanted to just help you understand, if you haven't been in a church where someone might speak out in a language that's unfamiliar and then somebody interprets that, that's what you experienced today. That is found in, in the book of Second Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14, and other places in the Bible, and it's something that we believe God speaks to us at times, and, and uh, you'll see how that kind of feeds into what we're talking about today, in addition to the songs that Pastor Nick chose and all of that. I want to tell you something else, though, right before we start our sermon today, and, and that is this, that um, I, know that, I know that you pray, right? Christians pray. That's part of being a Christian, right? Just like you pray and you, and you talk to your spouse, you talk to your friends, you wouldn't have much of a relationship had you not done that. But there's something else that as Christians, you know, I, wanna, I want us to be a part of, and that is to pray together. And we, we haven't done that a lot recently, and, and we, we uh, have scheduled a time to pray together this coming Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. And we'll start right here, and we're going to start right at 8 o'clock. I know some of you are like, wait a minute, that's Saturday. That's cartoons. How, how many grew up like that? Anybody else do that? You got up really early and you snuck out because that was the only time of the entire week that we got any control over what the TV did. And it only lasted until my parents woke up, but, you know, we got cartoons on Saturday morning. But uh, actually, 8 o'clock right in here, and I'll just tell you how it's going to work. It'll be one hour. We're going to start at 8 o'clock. We'll have a couple, a a few directed times of prayer. Then I'm going to release you just to pray, and you're going to be praying wherever you want around this campus. We're going to be praying for the church. We're going to be praying for needs of the church. Uh, And what I, I don't mean the building. I mean the church, you. And uh, we will also be praying about just, you know, things going on in the country. We'll be praying about, you know, what, what, what big holiday is coming up? There's something coming up, right? Have you noticed that? Have you seen it? I mean, you probably know because you've been to Target or Walmart, right? And you see all the, all the bunny stuff, right? Well, and you may be aware of this, but this, you know, Easter is, is the biggest attended day of the year for, for people who don't typically go to church. And we as a church, we, we count on that. We want that to happen. We want to be ready for people, not only physically ready, but we want to be spiritually ready. So that's another reason why we're praying that day, this coming Saturday. And you may have noticed that we're trying to do some new things even in the parking lot, welcoming visitors, and that's all part of that. So, you know, all of these things go together to make sure that we are ready for this one of the biggest days of the year. So we just want you to know that. And then also... Um, you know, you may have noticed, some, some of you may not notice because the signs aren't that very big, but we adopted the street in front of the church a couple years ago. And so, you know, quarterly or more often, we clean that up. Seems like since the last time we cleaned up, there's more trash than ever. I don't know what, how that happens. And it seemed to come like the next couple weeks after we cleaned up last time. But we're going to also do that on Saturday starting about 10 o'clock. So if you want to help with that, that'll be a lot of fun too. And what's, what's fun is um, I know some of the people in the neighborhood, and they always say, oh, it was great seeing you guys out there. Appreciate that you do that. And to, to us, it's just another way to minister to our, to our area and to our neighborhood. So a lot of things happening. But we are talking about being emotional. And I don't know how many of you have been emotional, but it is comical to me. And I am, I'm kind of slow sometimes because different ones of you have, that, that have texted with me this last week, you'll throw in a couple emojis. And I'm like, I, I didn't even notice at first. And then I look back like, oh, I see what you're doing there. Very funny. Uh, and I don't often use them, but, but at times they're so handy just to make sure people understand, hey, I'm just kidding, or, or you know, that was funny. Or if, if somebody sends you something and there's, you, know, you have an appropriate response, and, and you may not want to write it all out, but if you're just going to share with them that you're, you're also sad, 
you might, you know, you might throw that in. I got, I got one of these recently from somebody, and <laughs> at first I thought, are they mad at me? No, 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 I know what they're doing. They're doing the whole fist bump thing. You know, that thing was popular like 10 years ago. Remember when you say hello? Or if, you know, during cold and flu season or somebody's got a cold, they'll be like, hey, how you doing? You know, and you're like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing there. Clever. But I didn't catch on right away. And then I thought, well, I'm going to mess with them. I said, so what, are you mad at me? And then they said, uh, no. <laughs> and I said, um, so you are mad? You're saying, yes, you're mad? And then they like, then they said, no, good job. I mean, it was getting ridiculous. So if you're not familiar with this, the emojis, and, and if somebody's emotional, what, we, what that means is that they're emitting excessive emotion via the emoji app in a text or other cell phone application. Anybody here feeling that way today? You may not want to admit it. That's all right if you are. I, I was doing some research on emotions just a little bit, and, and one of the things I came across, they were saying the top three most dangerous emotions. Can anybody guess what they might be? Get a little louder. You can guess a little louder. I mean, anger. Wow. Man, you guys are on it. Anger and sadness, which, I mean, we all experience sadness. I wouldn't have thought of it as danger. But, and then fear. Fear is very dangerous. We're going to talk about fear today. We're going to get right into fear. Fear is what, you know, fear is, fear is so natural to us as human beings. And as I was doing some research on this, I found that there are, psychologists have identified uh, over 2,000 separate fears. Isn't that scary? I mean, does that scare you at all? Because I don't know when I read that, I thought, wait a minute, that many, really? And then uh, as, as I was studying, I found that, and you probably know this too, but you know, we're born with two innate fears. And, and what God has done, as we talked about before, emotions aren't bad, they're good. God gave all these things for us for our good, but in balance. And these, these two fears that were given as infants, you know, they're, they're again meant to protect you. And they're two simple fears. It's, it's the fear of falling and then the fear of loud noises. You can imagine that those things would be important. And fears are good. You know, they, they protect us. They get you to avoid things that are, are dangerous. But but sometimes fear can get out of balance, and when it is, what do we call it? We, we call it a phobia, and a phobia is an exaggerated or irrational fear. How many have those? <laughs> Just kidding. I keep asking these questions I know you really don't want to respond to, but, but it's one of those things, if it's, if it's irrational, you probably don't think it's irrational, right? If it's irrational, you probably don't, don't identify that as irrational. For you, it's natural, it's normal. But somebody maybe next to you or someone who knows you well, they might consider it irrational, but, but you yourself don't by definition if it's irrational. But phobias are very common. It's, it's amazing. As I was reading through, you know, I know we're familiar with a lot of phobias. One you may not be aware of was a new one to me. It's called nomophobia. Does anybody know that one? I thought it was pretty comical. It's no phone. I thought it's like no mo phone. Maybe, I don't know, but it was nomophobia. And, and as I was reading about that, it is a condition, which, which is really funny. And, and I'll bet you that all of us at one time or another have had that moment where you're like, wait a minute, wherever you carry your phone, where's my phone? You're trying to think, where did I use it? Where, where was it? I mean, we've, we have this happen at church often where someone will call and say, hey, I left my phone. I'm like, well, where is it? I don't know. Okay. You want me to walk around the church, start calling your number? I mean, it's, it's, it's an issue. And, and what we found is the way that they measure nomophobia is if you cannot put your phone 15 feet from yourself for 15 minutes. 
and not look at it, not think about it. Can you do that? I can do that. I heard some people, oh, I can do that. No problem. No problem at all. How about phobophobia? That's a fear of having phobias. It's kind of stupid, but... Uh, <laughs> you know, and all of that's so normal because, um, I mean, a lot of these phobias, they're, they're things that, that we come by naturally because God has given these things to us to protect us. But again, it's when it's exaggerated and out of balance, right? So maybe you have one of these, but, but at the same time, you, you know, again, you're not necessarily perceiving it as, as that. But, but if you think about phobias and the reason it's irrational is because a lot of times the fear is not really of the thing, now, if you had a bad experience with bees, for instance, I could understand that. But, it, but it's when you don't, you're afraid of something, but it's, you haven't actually experienced the thing you're going to feel. It, it's almost like an anticipation of the pain or the problem. It's not the actual thing itself. It's, it's so funny. Uh, one of the most common, actually, I got a list of, of them in order from 1 to 100. I'm not going to go through all of them, but what would you guess is the most common phobia? Oh, you are right. Well, oh, no, no. It is, it is actually, I skipped ahead tonight. It is spiders. And I didn't want to put a real spider on there. And I know some of you probably can't even look at this image because it is the number one phobia, arachnophobia. It is the number one, the most common one. And it's more common in women than men, it says. Four times more common. 48% of women have this phobia, 12% of men. What would you say is number two? Snakes. Man, you are on it. And then three is heights. Four is the fear of crowded or open spaces, which I was surprised. I didn't know it was that common. I knew it was common. But then dogs, then claustrophobia, fear of flying. Huge percentage of people have a fear of flying. For me, it's the fear of falling when you're flying. but Or the fear of... <laughs> I was on this plane once. This is the truth, too. I was on this plane once, and I looked down, and I see this bolt. It was that long, and it was that big. And it's just laying in the aisleway. I'm thinking, that cannot belong to any of these seats. It's too big. Where in the world did that come from? It did not fall out of someone's luggage, right? And so I asked the, the uh, almost said stewardess, that would be the wrong thing. I asked the flight attendant, I said, what is that? And where did it come from? And she just looked at it and she looked at me and she just started laughing. She goes, I have no idea, no idea at all. So she just picked it up and walked away and I thought, oh my goodness, you know. I've, I've flown with people who are afraid, you know, and they're gripping the, the, and I understand, I mean, I get it, it's fear. How about um, this one you may be familiar with, glossophobia, fear of public speaking. It's huge. That, that in the list is number 13. How about fear of birds? I had no idea this was that common. I have a friend who's afraid of birds. I'm not going to disclose who that is because he's a big, tough guy, but he is afraid of birds. Number 16. I hear laughter coming from over where he sits, actually. Um, but this... This made me laugh thinking of him a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it's only funny because the kids are laughing. You know, they're enjoying it, kind of. <laughs> <I, laughs> some of these, you look at them and you think, stop, stop, you're in big trouble. You're already, you don't even know how big trouble you're in. This, <laughs> This is the worst one. Don't go in there. Don't, don't do it. Don't, don't, don't. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh. In college, we, we would have to walk by this duck pond, and there was this goose there. 
And this goose thought it owned the sidewalk. And the sidewalk wasn't very wide, but there was a street. You had to walk there. And it was so comical to see the people who were afraid of a goose. But that thing, you know how they put their, arm, their wings back and they start honking at you and chasing you. It was just, that was sometimes worth missing class just to watch that go down. But <laughs> we do have a lot of fears, don't we? I mean, really. And some of them are serious. I mean, we've been kidding around about these. And the ones I just mentioned, hopefully they're not life-threatening. But, but fear is real. Think about these fears. These get serious. How about the fear of rejection that cripples your interaction with, with people and trying new things and maybe even going out for sports or things that, that you know would better your life, but because of that fear of rejection, it changes how you behave and what, how you do. How about fear of losing your, your freedom? I don't know how many of you have experienced that. I mean, as we get older or, or maybe an injury has caused you to think, I am now dependent. Fear of the unknown. I mean, this is a spooky thing. Fear of pain, fear of disappointment, loneliness, ridicule, death, failure. How about this? Do any of you have a fear that God might ask you to do something that you are not willing to do or capable of? Or, or maybe, God, please don't ask me, ask somebody else. And maybe it relates to another fear you have. Maybe it, maybe it has to do with you even talking to strangers. And, and yet you feel like God has told you, I need you to share the good news with this person, and you're thinking, no, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. Why would he ask me when, when there's people that are so much better at that, and they, they talk to strangers all the time? Why would he ask me to do it? How about the fear that maybe God has something planned for you, and you're just not sure what it is? And because you're not sure, you're not sure you want to step into what he has. You know, it's interesting, the, the, um, that word, and then also the songs that, that Pastor Nick was leading, because... I think what happens sometimes is we start to doubt that God is really for us and that he's really good and that he loves us. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. You know, the thing is, we, we, as we doubt and we, we doubt God sometimes and we start to be afraid, we limit what God will do in us and through us because we say, I'm only going to go this far. I'm afraid to go any further than this. And even though we serve a God who we know loves us and cares about us and wants the best for us, we're afraid to go where he wants us to go and do what he wants us to do and say what he wants us to say. And in doing that, we limit what he can do and will do in our lives. And fear is the thing that does that. Fear, it, it causes us to doubt if it causes you to doubt your abilities and your future and your decisions. And then worse, it, it gets you to doubt God and his character and his love for you. And it gets, him, it gets you to start to doubt who he is. And in the process of that doubt, you start to build walls about it. And the God of the universe who wants so much more for you, you say, I'm only going to go so far. Have you ever had this situation where maybe, maybe it was with you with your kids and We've probably all done this. Like maybe they're standing up on a bench or on a wall, or, or maybe you're in the pool and they're on the edge and you're saying, jump, I'll catch you. Anybody had that experience? It's almost universal. And, and maybe you've had one of your children say, I'm afraid. And you as a parent, what do you say to them? I got you. I'm right here. And has anybody had this happen where then you look away and then they jump? And you're like, <laughs> and then they never doubt. Then, oh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding, it's happened. <laughs> but Sorry, Grace. But we serve a God who never looks away. 
He's always there. He's not going to ask you to do something and set you up for failure. He doesn't do that. He loves you. He cares about you. But in the middle of that, we, we put those limitations on him. And in a sense, you build a wall and you say, I'm only going this far and I won't go any further. And it's, it's fear that holds us back. And I'm not calling it a phobia. I'm not saying it's always irrational. It's not. It's, the fact is, it's something that, that restrains us and keeps us. Here's the saddest part about that is it's the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy He's the one who doesn't want you to experience all the things in life that God has for you. He's the one that wants you crippled and limited by fear. He's the one who wants you cowering behind a wall and not stepping into whatever it is that God has for you. That's what he wants, not God, not God. He wants to steal your joy. I think what we can do today is we're going to take a look at a portion of Scripture that you may have never, ever seen these things in the Scripture. But as I was reading, as I was amazed at how much fear is in there. And I, I really didn't think of it because this is one of those stories that we're almost too familiar with. And when we get so familiar, we skip over some of the nuances in there. We skip over some of the, the human things in there. And what I want you to try to do today is put yourself into each one of these people's uh, situation and position and maybe apply it to your life in a way and see if their fear relates at all to your fears. This story we're jumping into, it's, it's in the history of Israel. And what, what had happened was... When God set up his, the children of Israel and he planned to, to bring his son through that, that people group and introduce himself to us as people, as human beings, he chose the Jews. And as he did that, he first, he first gave them, you know, Moses led them and then, then he gave them judges to guide them. And then at some point, you know, he had the prophets and at some point they said, we want a king just like everybody else. And God didn't really want that for them. He, he wanted them to be led by him. But they didn't want that. They wanted to be just like the nations surrounding them. So he did. He gave them a king. The problem was the king that they had, he looked like a king. And if you remember the story, the Bible says he was head and shoulders above everybody. He was an impressive looking guy. He was tall and he was handsome and he was manly. And he looked like somebody who could lead a nation. So the prophet Samuel anointed him as king. And then it wasn't very long when he started to fail. Now, this was the first king they ever had. And he started to take things in his own hand. And his, the problem was that his heart wasn't right. He looked the part, but his heart wasn't right. And because his heart wasn't right, he started to disobey God. And, and he disobeyed in fabulous ways. At one point, he even, he even did a sacrifice, which was only supposed to be done by the priests. And he did it himself. And it was at that point that God said, we need another king. Now, Saul knew that. Saul knew that God's presence had left him. He knew all of that. He knew it, and he knew because Samuel, the prophet, told him that face to face, and that wasn't a pleasant situation. So the Bible then says, now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But who was king? Saul was still king. How do you think that would look if Samuel goes and says, hey, look, I'm anointing a new king, and Saul's still king? Not good. Samuel says, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And God says, take a heifer with you, which is a cow, and the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and then I'll show you which of his sons to anoint me. Do you think, do you think that um, at all that Samuel was afraid? Yes, he was afraid. 
He was desperately afraid. And yet, he was a man of God. So some of you may be sitting here today and you're thinking, I don't think fear, I, the fear I have isn't, isn't right because God, is, God doesn't, he won't love me enough if I'm a fearful. Or maybe you think that it's only people who aren't serving God are, are fearful. That's not true. Every one of us experiences fear at one time or another. And in this case, God is speaking directly to him, telling him exactly what to do, and he has fear. We all will have fear. Even when you're walking exactly where God wants you to walk, you're going to have fear. Even when you're doing the exact right things, you're going to have fear. Just know that. Almost be encouraged by that. <laughs> I love this part too. God tells him, just go and then I'll show you what to do. You know what? When I read that, it gives me a little fear. You know why? I want it all planned out. I want to know exactly how it's going to go. I don't know about you guys, but there's a lot of things in life I didn't even try growing up unless I knew I would get it. Anybody else like that? I wanted to know. I didn't want to be denied or rejected or any of that. And I think about those things back in life and I think, God, I missed on so many opportunities because of fear. And even times where I felt like God had led me and yet I didn't trust him enough and the fear crept in. And here's a man of God who's fearful and obeys and does what God tells him to do. And God doesn't give him all the details. I don't know why God does that. Well, yes, I do. You know why? He wants you to trust him. And he wants you to trust him and follow him in spite of the fear. And you may be thinking, this is the thing that keeps coming to my mind. It's, it's just that there may be somebody in your workplace or somebody at school, and you are the one to talk to them, and you're thinking, someone else should do it. And God keeps saying, no, it's you. And you're like, well, I'm not sure what to say. And he's saying, I'll give you the words to say. And you're like, well, could you give them in advance? Could you give them in writing? Could you text me? Could you give me a way to know ahead of time not only what to say but how they're going to respond? He doesn't do that, does he? He just doesn't do that. He lets you walk through that to grow you. Maybe it's, maybe for you, like I wonder about Samuel. Now, I'm, we were, we're reading into this because we do not know. But I wonder if some of Samuel's fear when God told him, choose another king, he got to thinking, that didn't work out so well last time. How am I going to do better this time? I thought I knew what you wanted me to do last time. And I messed it up. And look at this guy. He's been such a colossal failure that you've rejected him and you've chosen somebody else. Now you're telling me to go find a new guy. How am I going to know? Maybe it's your past decisions and past failures that create that fear in you and that, that, that limitation. And you're not sure if you want to step out and you're not sure if you want to take the risk. Even though God has been telling you and you're still like, can you tell me again or louder or differently? The fear doesn't end there. It's so funny because look at this verse. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Even they're afraid. Why are they afraid? They don't know. Here's, here's why. Bible historians tell us they were probably afraid for at least two reasons. One, they probably weren't living right. <laughs> it's hard to imagine, right? And when the man of God shows up, Samuel was a really famous guy at this point. He was older. He'd been a prophet a long time. He had done some amazing things in the name of God. So when he shows up, it's one of those things like maybe you've had this happen before where somebody shows up at your door or somebody calls and you're like, why are they calling? You ever had that feeling? It doesn't have to be bad. Not like there's sin in your life. I don't mean that. I just mean that you know something serious. It's like when you get that call at 2 a.m. That's not normal, right? 
So you answer the phone with a little intrepidation because you're wondering what is going on. You're like, is everything okay? That's what they're doing. But here's the other thing, which I didn't even think about, the fact that this, this rift between Saul and Samuel was public, and it was, it was public knowledge. They knew it. So at least at one level, they may have been worried that there would be whatever he was there for, there might be some then allegiance because Bethlehem was not a big city. It was a really small town. And they probably thought, you know, kind of they, they thought, well, we're not sure we want to be associated so close to you because Saul is out of control. Saul is, is, is doing crazy things and we don't know what he's going to do next. And they might have been worried that, that some of that association, fear of association might have drifted onto them. So they're trembling when they meet him. And, and Samuel, he, he puts their, their mind at ease. He says, he says, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Um, purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons, and he invited them to the sacrifice too. And when they arrived, oh, I, when they arrived, he took one look at this guy, um, Eliab, and he thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Here's the thing about this. God told him to pick a king, and what did he do, right? He trusted in what he had done before, right? Can you blame him? I mean, how else are you going to pick a king? He's looking at the guy, and he goes, whew, this guy's impressive. He must be the guy, must be the guy. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Here's the thing. God is concerned with a person's inner disposition and character. I love that. I love that. That means there's hope for us, isn't it? I mean, how many Saul's, you know, head and shoulders above everybody and impressive, or even Eliab like that, are there? The fact is, God uses everybody, and maybe, maybe some of your fear has been that you don't quite measure up to some people who have been around you that have gone before you, or, or, or maybe your ideal look of what a Christian should be, or how a Christian should talk, or how they should act, and you think, I'm not quite good enough, so God can't use me, but the truth is, he uses you not based on what you look like, and he doesn't even use you based on your abilities. He uses you based on your heart. He always, it always comes down to the heart. He wants your heart. You know what else? God sees potential in you that you can never see. You know why? He put it there. He put it there. He made you just how he made you. And because of that, he has something for you to do that no one else can do. He has things that he wants in you that no one else is capable of because he put it there and he knows it's there and he wants to develop it and draw it out and, and have you do things that no one else could do. I like that. I like that because that means that we all have value in his eyes and he cares about each of us and each of us uniquely in ways that nobody else could know. So the story gets even better because then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, no, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Then next, Jesse uh, summoned Shimei. I wasn't going to put all this in there because it's like 10 verses, but I wanted you to get the impact and feel the drama of all this. Can you see what is happening here? Something bizarre is happening. The, the, the priest or the, the, the prophet of God is there with this oil. He's ready to anoint somebody. They don't know for sure what's going on, and he's parading all the sons. Does anybody know how many there were? Seven. <laughs> Seven. And they have to parade in front of him, and then he's like, nope, not him. Ouch. Ouch. 
But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Je- You read ahead. That's how you knew it was seven. Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Do you feel the drama yet? Drama, drama, drama. Then Samuel asked, are these... Let's, let's say it how I would have said it. Are these all the sons you got? Is this all you got? <laughs> and this breaks my heart. I'm, I'm smiling only because it's so ridiculous. Jesse replies, they're still the youngest. What, what did Samuel tell them originally? Bring all your sons. How, how do you not bring the youngest? Is he too young? Are you ever too young for God to use you? No, you are not. You are not. Does God, does God look at us and say, you don't count ever? How could this father do this? It breaks my heart. He's still the youngest. He's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats, not the top of the ladder food chain. Send for him one, Samuel says. We will not sit down and, to eat until he arrives. I wonder how far he was. You know what I mean? It's not like he's riding a motorcycle or a car or nothing. They got to send someone out, find him, right? Get him. And I bet you they said, clean up. They slept out there in the fields. <laughs> how could you have forgot him in the first place? Think about this. The Lord's anointed was tending sheep. What was he going to do later? He was going to tend God's sheep. <laughs> All right, so, so Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. I don't know why that's it. I mean, who? Okay. And then the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, older brothers, seven older brothers, uh, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought, and he anointed David with the oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David for that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah, and what it doesn't say right here, but it's true, then David returned to the sheep. <laughs> yep. Do you think he was afraid? Do you think when he went out there and tended the sheep that he ever had fear? Of course he did. He was out there just camping. And imagine when he, when he heard a roar or, or, or when he heard the sheep get all rustled or imagine what it was like. Imagine him thinking about what it might be to be king. It's not as if he didn't know. It's not as if he didn't know the failures of Saul. I'm sure everybody knew. The fact is he had to have fear. I wonder if he wondered about the rejection or wondered if it would ever happen or how it would happen. Because Saul was the first king they'd ever had, it wasn't like there was a rite of passage or, or how to move from one king to the other. David wasn't royal lineage. I mean, they, he had to wonder how this was going to be. And again, I want to know all the answers before I start stuff. I do. I, I maybe overdo it, but I always want to know. I was, and, and even now, if I'm working on something on the car, it can be something simple. I'll watch like four YouTube videos of how-tos. I want to know. And then I still mess it up, and maybe that's why I want to do it over and over. And I'm afraid to just go on without knowing. Fast forward a few years. This is how this story is so familiar. Goliath, champion of Gath, giant is challenging and insulting the army of Israel. But, but more than the army of Israel, he's insulting God, our God, the God of Israel. And he's telling them, well, here, let's read it. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. So they're all lined up for battle. And he says, why are you all coming out to fight? He called them, I'm a Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Probably making fun of the fact that Saul was their first king ever. And then the, the Philistines had this established 
thing going on with their people group. But choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. If I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send a man who will fight me, he says. Do you ever think about who should have been sent? Look at this. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. These are hardened soldiers. Why are they so afraid? They're afraid because they have no faith in God, but not only that, they're afraid because they're looking in the physical at this giant who they know they can't fight. Saul is afraid. Why is Saul afraid? Because Saul's the one who should have been doing it because he was the big man, remember? He was the, he was the supposed leader. He should have been the one fighting, but he didn't. So what he does, Saul offers a reward to whoever will fight this guy. <laughs> he offers him a reward, a money reward, and he offers him his daughter in marriage, which meant so much more than, than we could imagine. It wasn't just getting a wife, but it's, it's a royal wife, which probably involved not having to pay taxes, all sorts of things. I mean, it would have been an amazing thing for anybody. And in the middle of this, David sends, uh, David's father sends him with some food to his brothers. He had three brothers fighting in the army. So let's do the math for a second. He had seven older brothers, right? You had to be 20 to fight in their army at this time. So David would be roughly 13 to 15 when it was prophesied he would be king. Who knows how old he was at this point, but he comes there and he starts asking around because he hears these taunts and he says, what, nobody's going to fight him? What's going on? And, and what does the guy get who fights him? And his brother hears him and he says, well, when David's oldest brother, Eliab, remember the one who got rejected? The one who looked more like a king than David did? Uh, he heard David talking to the men. He was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about these few, those few sheep minimizing his, his role in the family? What, what about those little sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know how about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle like every boy would, I'm sure. Think they resented David? Guaranteed. Do you think they resented the fact that he got blessed and all seven of them got rejected? Oh my goodness, I can't even imagine. Clearly, they didn't believe in him. Clearly. Do you think at any point that could have grown fear in David's heart? For sure. Do you, do you know what it's like to have someone who should have believed in you, doubt you, minimize you, criticize you, not believe the best in you? Do you know what it's like to be blessed and then have people close to you be maybe jealous of that blessing and then try to minimize it? or not celebrate with you because they didn't get it and they wanted it or deserved it in their mind? Man, talk about fear. Someone who should have supported him and believed in him tried to crush him. Instead of speaking faith and encouragement, they spoke defeat and doubt. Maybe, maybe David brought it on himself, kind of like Joseph, where he bragged a little bit. I don't know. We don't know. We're not told that. Here's the thing I want to tell you. Don't let fear set in. When family doesn't support you or the loved ones who you should have had support you don't support you, that, that can sink way deep into your heart where you walk around with doubt because of fear because you don't have people in your, that should be cheering you on. The ones who should be in your corner are not there for you. Maybe you've mentioned something that maybe God has talked to you about maybe teaching Sunday school and they're like, you? Kids won't listen to you. Maybe volunteering with youth and they say, you're not cool enough. Maybe you feel like you, you should do a career change and people are saying, not, not now, you're just too late for that. Maybe there's a promotion at work and 
and you feel like you should try for it. And you mention it to a coworker, and they, deep down they want it, and they're like, no, 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 I'm going to do that. Fear can set in. So do you give up or do you go on? What do you do? What do you do? Huh. David goes, he, this gets back to Saul. David goes and tells Saul, he says, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. But David persists. He says, he says I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, which I don't know was very impressive for Saul to hear that line. But then he says, when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. Who does that? A true shepherd does that. You know what a hireling would do? Say, it's just a lamb. I got five more. No. He says, if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears. And I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Where did this fear, faith over fear come from? Where does that come from? Is he just talking off the top of his head? Is he just a boastful teenage boy? No. You know where it came from? It came from a guy who spent hours and hours and days and days and nights and nights knowing that he had a call from God on his life and talking with God about it. He'd spent time with God. He knew, he knew that God was for him and not against him. He knew that because of experience over and over and over. I came across this quote by Charles Spurgeon. It says, God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trace his heart. Do you think David ever wondered, God, how in the world is this going to happen? I'm supposed to be king, and I'm out here with sheep and goats. How is that king? Do you think he ever wondered, God, what are you doing? What are you thinking here? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Did he ever pout? Did he ever get angry with God? Did he, ever, did he ever raise his fist and say, God, did you forget about me? None of this is working. Did he let that fear come in? Or did, did he have that sense of destiny knowing that God loves him, cares about him, is going to see it through? You know what he did? He wrote songs. He worshiped him. He talked to him. He got to know him in a way that, 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 that prepared him for the lions and tigers and bears, right? He didn't sit back and say, why not today? Why is it taking so long? God uses all of those experiences in your story. He does over and over. He does this. We all know that God causes everything to work together for your good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And I don't know if David, you know, at the time knew how that was going to work together, but it, it worked. It worked. The thing is, he trusted God's heart and he trusted God's timing. That's what he did. He trusted his heart and his timing. And you probably know the rest of the story. The rest of the story is he goes out to meet this, this giant and he, he brings him down with a sling and some stones and kills him and the rest is history. The army, the army wasn't defeated that day. Instead, because of his act of faith over fear, that gave the army the courage to do what they didn't have the courage to do before. And as the story goes, they routed the entire enemy and chased them forever and ever and, and won that battle. 
What if David would have said, sorry, I, I don't do giants? You ever think about that? Sorry, I'm going to be king someday, and I can't risk, um, you know, this. What if, what if Noah said, I don't do boats, or Moses said, I don't do bushes, burning bushes? And What if they let the fear kind of get over them and say, I've got a different thing to do. I can't do this. You know what I think happens? I think when we let that fear come in, it keeps us from doing what God wants us to do, and we don't even see the impact that ripples on and on and on. What would have happened that day if David hadn't stood up and done what God called him to do? Against all odds. What if, what if Saul had to be the one? He should have been the one. And he was defeated and killed. I mean, the whole course of history of Israelite history could have been changed forever and ever and ever. And I'm not trying to make a big, bigger deal out of this, but the fact is, each and every one of us, who you're standing on the precipice of decisions or choices based on fear, you don't realize who's watching you. Start first with your kids. They watch. They know. They know how you react. They know what you're deciding and why. Think about the people that you work with, the people you go to school with, and your friends. Think about all the people who, who you may not see it, but based on how you respond to fear or faith or trust in God or doubt, that will determine the course of their life forever and ever. I, I know it sounds weird, but the fact is God is counting on you. He's counting on you to believe in him. And then he's going to do things in and through you that you had no idea was even possible. He does that. The truth is David trusted God more than he trusted his fear. And God had a plan for him that was far above probably what he could even imagine. Far above. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know. You know what I wonder? As I, I was reading some of the Psalms and I was trying to imagine, when did David write this? And, and what was going on when he wrote it? Look at this one. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. Think he wrote that after standing there in front of Goliath with the Philistine army on one side and the Israelite army on the other? Can you imagine that picture? Can you imagine the pressure and fear that had to grip his heart? Have you ever done something where you're afraid, but you want to do it, and you're trembling because the adrenaline is rolling, but you, you, you're going to do it? Mary, if I could have you join me up here on the piano. And I don't know what's going on in your lives. I don't know what fear is there that's crippling you and holding you back. I don't know that. I don't. But I know that we serve a God who is good. He's good, and he cares about you, and he loves you, and he, he wants you to take that step of faith and walk out and do whatever it is he's talking to you about doing, and he's going to be with you. Do I wish he'd give you every detail? Yes, I do, but he doesn't. He just doesn't. He wants us to trust him and trust his heart that his heart is good. You may be going back and forth in your mind, and you're like, God, but it would be way, 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 way better if somebody else did it, and you probably know exactly who that better person would be. And he's trying to tell you, yeah, but I want to use you. Because he knows the potential he put in you. He knows who you are. I'm going to ask you to do this for a second. I want you to shut your eyes. Just, and I ask people to do that in a, in a service like this because it, it gives us that sense of privacy in a room full of people. But with your eyes closed for a second, I know that some of you maybe even have conquered a fear just by stepping into a church. And here you are around all these people and you're like, whoa, this is what church is like. That's interesting. I didn't know. Some of you fear 
what life would be without that addiction that you've been struggling with forever. And it's been something that's, that you feel like is just a part of you. You don't even know who you are. And recovery just seems so fearful and too much to even walk in. Maybe some of you, you're, the fear of reaching out to a counselor and facing the past is just too much. Or maybe some, somebody here you know you need to talk to your spouse about that. And it's tough. Maybe for some of you, just joining a connect group, the idea of being known is scary. And yet, you're more afraid of the loneliness, but you're not sure how to bridge that gap and you're not sure what to do. Maybe for you, it's one of those things I mentioned before. Maybe it's, you know, volunteering and helping out in our children's program and our youth program or, or, or maybe being a greeter and you think, I couldn't do that. Those people who do that, they're just so good at talking to people and I'm just not skilled for that. But you feel like God is maybe calling you to do something and you're not even sure what it is. With your eyes closed for a second, I just want to ask a question. It's, Anybody here kind of worry or dealing with fear about something? Just raise your hand for a sec. I just want to pray for you. I do see those hands. More importantly, God sees those hands. And most importantly, he wants you to trust him and trust that he's good and that he loves you and he's going to walk you through these things. I'm going to ask another question that's really important tonight or today. I'm going to ask you this. There might be somebody here who you, you actually wouldn't even consider yourself a Christian. You do, you. you you're new to it or you know about it but you're not even sure and you're hearing this today and you're feeling kind of a kind of a tightness in your chest or a tug in your heart and you're wondering if this is real then i i could ask this god that you're saying i can trust to help me with my life to come in and make things right and i'm telling you today yes that's true maybe you're thinking well i've done a lot of things that are wrong you know what we all have and the fact is he sent his son to die for those things that all of us has done wrong and it's a simple matter of you saying, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. And you ask him to come and help you live your life. And that's what he does. Anybody here like that, that you would like to invite him into your life today? Anybody at all? Okay, I'm going to pray for you, for all of us. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for each one who raised their hand about fear. Whatever that fear is about, whatever it is. If it's talking to somebody at school or talking to somebody at work or maybe going for that promotion or, or maybe it is getting help with a life-controlling issue, God, I pray that whatever that is, that you would help them to, to, to press through that, to trust you that you are good and to trust you that you are going to see them through that fear to the other side. I pray, God, that you, you're, you're, the reality of who you are would grow so big in us that there would be no question and that fear would be completely drowned out. We pray that in the name of Jesus today. As we close this part of our service, I want you to take a look one more time at the screens because there's one, this verse in Isaiah. David didn't write this. Prophet Isaiah wrote it, but I love it. It says, I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Amen. God bless you. Pastor Jeremy.